You're listening to the Pursue God Truth Podcast, the official channel for faith and life topics at PursueGod.org. Join us every week as we explore new topics from a biblical perspective. Okay, today, John, we're going to be looking at Mark chapter 10. This is our third week in Mark chapter 10. There's a lot of, we're going to spend a lot of time in this chapter. And this is where, today's lesson is where uh, Jesus encounters a rich guy. And he has this just really insightful conversation with the rich man. And we're going to get to all of that in a second. We're going to get to so many in, you know, nuggets as we, as we look at Jesus' response to this guy's very interesting question. But before we even get to that, I think it's important to kind of connect the dots with where we've been the last few weeks. At the end of chapter 9, Jesus leaves Galilee for the last time. He's, he's not doing ministry in Galilee anymore. And then in chapter 10, the last two weeks, Jesus has been teaching in, the, in this region east of the Jordan River. He was teaching on divorce and remarriage a couple weeks ago. Last week, he talked about receiving the kingdom like a child. And it's likely, John, that this rich ruler that we see now at the, in today's message, that this rich guy might have heard Jesus' teaching from two weeks ago. He might have heard Jesus' teaching about children re- receiving the kingdom of God. And we don't even know how many other you know, teachings Jesus gave. But what we do know is that Jesus is about to leave the region and head to Jerusalem. So now this is the last time he's in that region. And so that's where we encounter today's message in this rich guy who runs up to Jesus like before he leaves town. Yeah, you get a sense that the rich man knows that this is my shot. If I don't if I don't run Jesus down, I mean it says he literally ran to Jesus, so he's trying to catch him before Jesus gets out of town. You know, Jesus had such a following at this time in his ministry that he he couldn't go anywhere without everybody knowing about it. So I'm sure the morning that he wakes up and you know, the disciples are packing up their things and, and people can tell that Jesus is going to leave that day. I'll bet the word spread like wildfire. You know, the teacher's leaving today. He's on his way out of town. And and this young ruler, this young man has a burning question that he wants to ask Jesus. And really, it it's the most important question that any of us could ask. What must we do to inherit eternal life? Now, I think he gets the question wrong when he says, what must I do? But he's he's on the right track, at least. And so we see that he runs down Jesus, and he, he has this really, really cool interaction with Jesus before Jesus leaves town. Okay, so let's read the text. This is from Mark 10, starting in verses 17 and 18. It says, as Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, knelt down. So that's even interesting, John, that he kneels down to him. And he asks, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And so for our listeners, um, maybe this is a question you've been wondering. Maybe you've been listening to the podcast for a while. You're trying to wrap your mind around the Bible and Jesus and Christianity. Maybe you grew up in, you know, an, an agnostic home or so many people in America today. That's kind of their story. And and so so this is such a great lesson. Boy, today's lesson is going to answer all your questions because Jesus is going to answer this question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And John, I think it's interesting that before Jesus even answers the question, and he's going to answer the question, but before he does, he asks a, a kind of a, an, an un, he asks a question that gets at the underlying issue here. 
And the issue is about how we see Jesus. Who do we think Jesus is? Because Jesus answers the question and he says, why do you call me good? Now remember, this guy's kneeling in front of Jesus. He's kneeling. He's not just standing there talking to him. So he's showing Jesus this, this respect. He calls him a good teacher. And Jesus just says, why do you call me good? And then he, he follows up, Jesus follows up with this statement, only God is truly good. John, help us to understand those, those two things that Jesus says here. So when he calls him good teacher, that may not sound like much to you or me, but in that culture, that, that title good teacher was never applied to a rabbi in Jesus's time because the title implied perfection. It meant being completely sinless. So only God was called good by the ancient rabbis. So this this young man, you know, says something here that's just out of character. He calls Jesus good teacher. So I, I would submit that that the man probably heard Jesus teaching in those other two scenes that we looked at where he teaches on divorce, where he taught about receiving the kingdom of heaven like a little child. I think this young man has heard Jesus teach at the bare minimum. He's heard secondhand from other people in this region the kind of things Jesus taught, right? Because he, he calls Jesus a good teacher. He runs him. So he's either heard Jesus speak directly or through secondhand information, he's heard the types of things that Jesus has been teaching. And so he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And to your point, Brian, Jesus Jesus says, why do you call me good? Now, Jesus did not say, I'm not good. Jesus never denied his goodness. Jesus, you know, just wanted to point out that, do you know why you're saying what you're saying? Like, Do you know who it is you're talking to? So the reality is that Jesus is good, and he's good because he's God. So when Jesus says, only God is good, Again, he's not denying his own goodness. What he's doing is affirming his deity. He's trying to help this rich young man process and really understand what he's saying. See, the young man didn't truly recognize Jesus' identity. And, and maybe for our listeners today, that's kind of where they're at. You know, they, they believe Jesus was a good teacher. They believe he was a moral person. They believe that he was a humble servant, but you just haven't connected the dots yet that Jesus is both fully God and fully man. And the Bible proclaims that all throughout the pages of scripture, you know, passages like John 1, 1, Colossians 1, 15, uh, both proclaim that Jesus is God. And then Jesus did things only God can do. Jesus had power over the elements. Jesus walked on water. You know, we're going to see Jesus conquer death. And then Jesus received worship. I think of when Jesus rode into Jerusalem and they're shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And, and they're bowing to him and the religious leaders go nuts. They tell Jesus, have them stop because that would have been blasphemous. That would have been blasphemy for those people to worship Jesus like that unless he was God. And what did Jesus say? He said, hey, if I tell them to be quiet, the very rocks are going to cry out. You know, so, so Jesus said things that only, or yeah, Jesus proclaimed that, that he is God. Jesus did things only God can do. And then we have other parts in scripture that affirm his deity. So I think what we're going to see, Brian, is that because this young ruler didn't recognize Jesus's true identity, 
in a way he didn't recognize his own identity. He didn't recognize his own brokenness. And I think we'll see that in the next part of the interaction. Yeah, really. I mean, not to give give away too much here, but I think it's important for people to hear this early and often today. The most important question a person could ask, if you really want to inherit the kingdom of God, which is what this guy wanted, he wanted to inherit the kingdom of God. His question was, what must I do to inherit the kingdom of God? The, the most important question you can ask is, who should I trust? The most important question you can ask is, who is Jesus? And that's why, again, we'll come back to this, but I, I want people to have that in their mind, even as we read the next part of scripture here, that, that Jesus hears this question, what must I do to, to inherit eternal life? He immediately identifies this guy's error in thinking. This guy thinks it's about him. This guy thinks it's about his work. It's about his actions. It's about his goodness. And yet Jesus Jesus starts by saying, why do you call me good? So Jesus knows the underlying issue. The real question he should have asked is, Jesus, who are you? You know, And Jesus is trying to get at that. But what we're going to see in the next part of this passage that Jesus is going to go ahead and answer the question that the guy asked. He's, he's going to get to the answer. Jesus is always so genius about how he does this. He's going, to, he's going to start to really poke at this guy's underlying misconceptions. And I wanted to say that at the beginning here because I want, to, I want our listeners to really think about their own approach to this question. How, like, why are you listening to this podcast? Why are you why are you interested in a pursuit of God? And how do you think you're going to accomplish that? How do you think you're going to inherit the kingdom of God? Even today, there are still so many religions, so many churches, so many just individuals that have this idea that it is all about how much I do. It's like, my salvation is up to me. I have to work. I have to keep a checklist or whatever. And I think 2,000 years later, we still have so many people that didn't get the memo <laughs> that Jesus is trying to give to this young man. And so we, we want to set people up to really hear what Jesus has to say. So, so verse 19, it says, to answer your question, Jesus speaking, but to answer your question. Okay, so he takes this little mini detour. He just kind of plants this little seed about Jesus's identity. But then he goes back to the, to the rich guy's question, original question, what must I do? And so he says, okay, I'm going to answer your question now. And he said, you know the commandments. And then Jesus lists out the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. And then honor your father and mother. So he gives six commandments Jesus lists out. And then the man replies like this. The man says, teacher, and we don't know if he cut him off. You know, maybe he was, maybe, maybe he cut him off, but I, I actually think Jesus was done. I think he only wanted to give these six, not all 10. And you'll see why in a sec. But the guy says, teacher, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. And the, the text says, looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. And then Jesus said this, there is still one thing you haven't done. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor 
and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. And at this the man's face fell, and he went away sad, for he had many possessions. John, there's so much here. There's so much just, uh, man, so many great nuggets of information, but our, our listeners probably need need some help understanding this passage. The first thing that jumps out at me, and it didn't even really hit me until you were just reading that passage, is this guy was so close, but he was so far away. <laughs> like he was on the right track. He, he, he was asking the right questions, but wow, was he ever off as far as what he thought the answer was. Again, because he didn't recognize Jesus' identity, he didn't recognize his own true identity. He didn't recognize his brokenness. He didn't understand his need for a savior. You know, if he really understood who he was, the question wouldn't have been, Jesus, what must I do? The question would have just been, Jesus, please save me. <laughs> Jesus, mm-hmm. please, you know, please make me blameless. Because, see, he thought he was righteous. He thought he was blameless by the law, but he wasn't. Now, he might have looked blameless by the outward letter of the law. He certainly fell short from the heart of the law. And we know that because the Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. If he would have recognized that, again, he would have begged Jesus to save him and not asked, what can I bring to the table? Now, this man is sincere. He's not, you know, we just had a couple of stories where the religious leaders try to trap Jesus with their questions. This guy's not trying to trap anyone. He's genuinely seeking the answer. And, And he's asking a question that at least in Mark's gospel, it doesn't seem like anyone has asked, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Not even the disciples have asked it. It's it's the most important question we can ask. How can I have my relationship with God restored? How, How can I have eternal life? And when Jesus gives him this first response, it's interesting that all of the commandments Jesus brings up, it's the second six, right? It's not the first four. It's the commandments that deal with our relationship with others, not our relationship with God. And we can see from the man's response that, in a way, he's allowed wealth to become an idol in his life. So Jesus could have called him to task. You know, he could have said, hey, you've clearly violated these commandments. But I feel like he's trying to help the man discover that versus just telling him that. You know, we we talk a lot about how it's best to help people discover truth versus just, you know, yelling truth at them. Because Jesus could have called him to task on his claim that he had kept the commandments. You know, Jesus had taught that if you'd even look lustfully at a woman, you've already committed adultery with her in her heart. If you've hated your brother or sister, you've murdered them in your heart. So Jesus could have said, no, 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 you you think you've kept these commands I just listed, but you haven't. But that's not what he did. Uh, and he's not the only one in the Bible who struggled with this. That's how the Apostle Paul thought he was before he met Christ. Paul thought he was blameless according to the law. We read that in Philippians chapter 3, verses 6 through 9. Paul says, I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. As for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. 
I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I became righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. Like Paul just summarized, I think, everything Jesus is trying to help this young ruler recognize. You know, you think you're righteous by doing, you think you're righteous by obeying the law. In your mind, you've been able to do that. But the only way we become righteous is through faith in Christ. It's all about knowing who Jesus is, trusting what he did for us. And and Jesus' response is that he looked at him lovingly. Some translations say he looked on him with compassion. You know, Jesus, again, Jesus didn't think this man was being uh, hypocritical or just trying to trap him. He, he could tell this man genuinely wanted to have eternal life. And he wanted him to experience real relationship, not just some checklist that would never make him right before God. Because don't you find Jesus's response a little odd? I do. There's nowhere else in scripture where Jesus commands someone who wants to follow him to sell everything they have and give to the poor. That's, that's not a blanket commandment that Jesus gives all of us. But he knew what was in this man's heart. He knew that this rich young ruler loved his wealth more than he loved God. He had made it an idol. And so he was breaking the commandment not to have any other gods before him. And he didn't even realize it. Yeah, it's interesting that Jesus looked with love on him. Uh, you know, I read one commentator who said, this is not, this, this guy is not being hypocritical. This guy represents someone, and I think we all know people like this. I know people like this, who like genuinely wants a relationship with God, and they genuinely think that keeping a list is going to get them there. They're not trying to be pharisaical they're not trying to be hypocritical they really they really think that um they really think they're good they really genuinely think they're good but not from a place of of spiritual elitism because i've seen we've seen them both john we've seen those people that you just want to they've got like punchable faces you know you're, you're just like you are so I, I i get so frustrated you're so arrogant you're so prideful you know there's so you have so much so much spiritual pride and jesus encountered so many pharisees like that and really i, I guess saul you could you could say saul might paul saul slash paul was maybe more like this guy. I think he, in his zeal, I think he genuinely was trying to honor God in his zeal. He just, he just had it wrong and didn't realize it. And so Jesus doesn't look at this guy and think, you hypocrite. You know, he wouldn't have felt genuine. He doesn't, Jesus didn't show genuine love for hypocrisy. He called it out. But he felt genuine love for this guy. So I really, I really think that this guy on one level honestly was excited when when Jesus gave him the list and said, yeah, I've done this. I've done this. I've done this. Like he really meant it. He was really trying to be a good guy. So for all all of our listeners who are out there, you know, one of our co-hosts of the Unveiling Mormonism podcast, uh, Bo and KD, these, to me, this is, this is Bo and KD. This is that couple who, you know, Bo was a return missionary. He never drank coffee. Like he tried to really be a good Mormon. And this is, this is how I see this, this guy. I see this guy as someone like that who's gen, he genuinely, as far as he knows, like genuinely loved people, genuinely was trying to be a good person and follow the rules and keep the commandments. You know, 
but he had it wrong. He had it wrong. That's how I see this, this rich ruler. I, and I, we see people like that in our churches, John, who come, who I think really at a, at a certain level, they really feel like they're, tr- they're, tr- they're doing it out of love. But if that's you, I want you to hear this. There's one thing you lack. <laughs> There's one thing you lack. You're actually missing the whole point. And John, this is important because I think it's important for our listeners to understand that 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 kind of even genuine, even like genuine works-based religion, because I just painted a picture of, I don't know if that's even fair to say, but genuine works-based religion versus hypocritical works-based religion. But the truth is, both of those people are missing it. Both of those people are are going to end up separated from God because because even genuine works based religion won't get you there, and this is why Jesus tells this guy to sell his possessions. He's he's trying to get at the heart of the issue. Like you think you've got it, you think you have it figured out, but you don't. You're actually missing. You're missing the whole point. And so Jesus kind of calls him to, he, he puts his finger on the one thing that might get through for this guy. And, I, you know, that might not be the same thing for every listener. Maybe for some of our listeners, it is money, possessions. But there are a lot of other things that, that I think are the one thing that could really point out why we're missing the whole mark when it comes to really understanding what it takes to enter the kingdom of heaven. I think Jesus is trying to reinforce that if you think you're going to get there through your works, through effort, through doing, you have to do it perfectly. I mean, that's the standard, right? We have to, we have to be perfect if we're going to try and earn our way back to God, to earn a relationship with Him, and it's impossible. None of us could do it. Only one person has ever done it, and that is Jesus Christ. <laughs> Jesus did live the perfect life. God sent Jesus to do that for us because we never can. And that's what I think Jesus is getting at. Like you, you think you're righteous because of the law. The only standard, if you try to be righteous by the law is perfection, right? And the Bible says that if we're guilty of breaking one law, we're guilty of breaking all of the law. You know, that that's how far we fall short when we try to do it. And I think there's this really cool connection to last week's sermon about receiving the kingdom of heaven like a little child. How does a little child receive a gift? They don't, you know, I've got a daughter who's going to turn 13 and uh, she has special needs. She has Down syndrome. When, When she gets a gift from us, there's not a hint, I mean, a hint of arrogance from her that she somehow deserved or earned that gift. It's mm. just a gift. And and I think that's what Jesus is getting at. Like, you know, there's, there's no combination of grace and works. Right, Brian? I mean, if, if, if your definition of grace is, well, I do everything I can, and then God makes up the difference in his grace, that's not grace. That, that's you trying to earn it, and then God comes in and fills the gap. No, the definition of grace is his unmerited favor towards us, that we don't bring anything to the transaction that's valuable. And, and as Jesus, and I don't want to kind of get too far ahead of ourselves, but as Jesus continues on in his response, he's going to talk about the fact that it's so hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven, 
And that's because if you think you bring something of value to the table, if you think you can somehow earn this, man, you're, you're dismissing the mark. You're so far off from what Jesus is trying to get across. And so again, the question from the rich young man shouldn't have been, what do I do? The question should have been, who do I trust? Yeah. So, okay. So the guy leaves, Jesus says, go sell all your possessions. And he goes, he, he go, he walks away sad because he was so rich. And then in verse 23, it says that Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, I think it's interesting. He looked around. I, I wonder if he, I wonder if he wondered if his disciples even left, you know, he looked around a little bit and then he said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And it says this amazed them, his disciples. But Jesus said it again. He wasn't done teaching. Dear children, it is very hard to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And again, the disciples were astounded. And they they asked him a question. Then who, who in the world can be saved? And Jesus looked at them intently And he said, humanly speaking, it's impossible, but not with God. Everything is possible with God. So, John, this is interesting because for people who have been listening to our podcast, you know, for maybe for months, this this doesn't seem to square up with what we've been saying all along about being becoming a Christian, because Jesus Jesus said it is very hard to enter the kingdom of God. What is he talking about there? We've been saying on this podcast, in fact, today at the end, we're going to say it's not that hard. So what's Jesus talking about? Well, there's a lot to unpack here. I I do want to bring up, you mentioned that Jesus looked around and how that's interesting. And in the word that's used there, uh, the definition is it's to observe with a sweeping look and with high personal involvement. I feel like he wants to look the disciples in the eyes. I think he wants to look at all of them and almost like, do you want to walk away too? What, you know, what, what effect did this rich young ruler walking away have on the disciples? Are they all in? Uh, I, I remember, you know, I used to coach uh, high school football for several years. And I, I remember when, when we would go out to a game I would always do that in the locker room. Like I just wanted to scan the eyes of everyone in that room. And I knew before we left the room, if we were going to be in that game or not, it didn't matter who we played. It didn't matter, you know, how we had practiced even that week. All that was, that was important. What mattered is the looks I got back from those kids. When I would scan that locker room, I could tell if they were all in or not before we ever walked out on the field. And, and I think, you know, in, in a little bit different sense, that's what Jesus is doing. He's scanning the eyes of the disciples. He's looking at them intently. He wants to see where their hearts are at. And then he makes a statement that's mind-blowing to them, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. It says the disciples were astounded. He's just blown their minds. They think riches are a sign of God's blessing and favor. You know, if you're wealthy, you must be living right. God, God must be blessing you. He's honoring you. And, and I think they said something. Now, Mark doesn't give details on exactly what they said initially, but, but they had to have said something. I mean, how else would, would, the, would Jesus know and how else would the Bible proclaim that they were astonished? 
I think it was more than just the looks on their faces. I think they said something. And the New Living Translation says that Jesus said again. In several translations, it says Jesus answered them. So I, I don't know what their first response was, but he responds to their questions and astonishment, and he repeats himself. He says, no, guys, it is very hard to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. So he takes the largest animal in that region, you know, the biggest thing he could picture to try to get into the smallest opening. And and I think this is what I think he means, Brian. I think there are several applications to this, but the first thing is that without God softening our heart, without God drawing us, if it was just up to us to seek God on our own, it's impossible to enter the kingdom of God. You know, the Bible says that there is no one who is good, no, not one. Like, we're not even pursuing God unless God is the one who first pursues us. God had to make a way for us to be forgiven. God had to fulfill the requirements. Again, God sent Christ who lived the perfect life that none of us can live. We cannot do it on our own, rich or poor. So that's why I think it's impossible to enter the kingdom of heaven uh, unless God does something for us. And then if we contrast the attitude of a rich person with the children from last week, right? Jesus said, we have to receive the kingdom of God as a little child. Children recognize their dependence. You know, my kids, up until they were teenagers, once they're teenagers, they lose this. <laughs> but <laughs> but preteen, our children recognize just how dependent they are on us as parents. They know they can't feed themselves. They know they can't put a roof over their own head. They know they can't drive anywhere. Like, they are totally and utterly dependent upon us. And that's the attitude that we have to have when we come to God, that we recognize our total dependence upon him. Yeah, I almost wonder, John, if he didn't use that that word intentionally where Jesus says, dear children, it's very hard to enter the kingdom of God. I'd have to go back and look, but I don't rem- I don't really remember that Jesus used that language a lot with his disciples, but he does right here, dear children. And he just got done saying, you, you have to receive the kingdom of God like a child. You can't work for it. You have to receive it. You have to be a receiver, not a contributor. So here this guy is, this rich guy is trying to be a contributor. Like so many, so many people in works-based religions, you're trying to work your way in. Now, maybe maybe you're trying to work your way in kind of in like combo form, like I'm going to do a certain amount of work, and then Jesus, you know, I still believe in Jesus, and he's going to do a certain amount of work. And Jesus is saying, oh, no, you can't, that doesn't work like that. You can't earn it. You can't work your way in. And one more thing, John, I remember years ago when I, I heard a sermon on this passage, um, Somebody said that that the camel through the eye of the needle uh, was uh, the eye of the needle was a small city gate in Jerusalem, and and so a camel would have to kneel down to get through the gate. And I, I remember think for years thinking that that's what this was talking about, but actually the Pillar New Testament commentary says there's no evidence that that is what this is talking about. That 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 legendary gate probably wasn't even around till the ninth century A.D. So that's 
reading more into the text than what it's really saying. I think it's what you said. It's it's just that Jesus wanted to he wanted to paint a word picture for his hearers that was like ridiculous, impossible. That's that's what he's getting at. It's impossible for the biggest animal you can think of, a camel, to go through the eye of a needle. Like the the disciples are saying, that's impossible. That can't happen. And Jesus is saying, exactly. Now you get it. You can't earn your way into heaven. So for all of our listeners who thought that you were going to bring your your goodness to God, you thought your pockets were full. You need to hear this. Your pockets are empty. You have no, you have nothing to bring to Jesus. And so what you have to do is stop trying to do a good thing to earn your way into the kingdom. Instead, you need to trust Jesus. You need to trust Jesus for salvation. And that's really what Jesus is getting at. Now, John, it, it ends, this whole story ends, there are a few more verses we have to cover because in verse 28, after this whole story, Peter begins to speak up. And this is actually, once again, comical. It's, it's like we see story after story of the disciples looking like they're not really fully paying attention. They're, they're not really getting, picking up what Jesus is putting down. Because right after Jesus gives this incredible lesson about how impossible it is to come to the kingdom of heaven by your own merit, your own works, your own effort. Peter speaks up, verse 28, and he says, we've given up everything to follow you. So remember, Jesus just told this guy, you got to give it all up. And this guy goes away sad because, because he had great wealth. Jesus is trying to teach them the real lesson here. And they, get, they come back to, well, no, we did what you told this guy to do. We did what you told the rich guy to do. It, you know, we've given up everything to follow you. And Jesus said, yes. And I assure you that everyone who has given up house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or property for my sake and for the good news will receive now in return a hundred times as many houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and property along with persecution. And in the world to come, that person will have eternal life. But many who are the greatest now will be the least important then. And those who seem least important now will be the greatest then. John, help us to understand what's going on in this last little interaction with Jesus and his disciples. Well, it is another example of how the disciples are, you know, they're close. They're, they're starting to see more clearly. I go back to the miracle of the blind man who said, I, I see people, they're like trees. And we saw how that was a metaphor for the disciples. And I just can't get that out of my head now. Throughout the rest of Mark, it's it's just hit me right in the face. Like, wow, that's really what's happening. You know, they, they're starting to see a little more clearly, but they still don't get it. Peter sounds a lot like the rich young ruler, doesn't he, in his response? <laughs> he, he talks about what they've done. Now, you know, it may sound arrogant. It was a true statement. The disciples had left homes. They left businesses. They left families to follow Jesus. Their reputations were soiled in the eyes of the religious leaders. They'd been kicked out of synagogues. You know, 10 of the 12 are getting it being martyred, with Judas and John being the exceptions. So they had done things for Jesus, but that's not what's going to get them in the kingdom of heaven. That's not why Jesus rewarded them both in this life and in the life to come. It's because of their faith in him. It's because 
eventually after his death and resurrection, you know, they finally see clearly. I, I think of the scene where Thomas, when he gets to see Jesus and put his hands in his wounds, he says, my Lord and my God. It, it finally all clicked for Thomas that Jesus, you know, Jesus was the Messiah. Jesus is God in the flesh. It finally all came together for him. And there's a lot of encouraging stuff in this passage. I think there's also some things that are hard for us to hear. <clears throat> you know, so Jesus talks about how he's going to, he's going to give them a hundred times as much in this life, houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and property because they had sacrificed for God in the, in the kingdom. That's not a literal statement, obviously. God's not going to give anyone a hundred mothers. He's not going to give anyone a hundred wives, a hundred children, right? It, it's, it's just an example of how God is a generous God. And if we have given up for God on this, on this, in this life, he's going to give us back all that plus. And I, I think about that in my life, Brian. I think about the richness, the richness of the life I have. And I have such a full life. And and I don't mean materialistically, although God has been very generous to me, you know, with physical things too, but our church family is so amazing. There are so many people that that love me and are praying for me and encourage me, and I get to be a part of their lives and they're a part of my life. It's it really is an amazing thing. God is so generous with that. And then he says, but there's also going to be persecution. You know, the, there is this idea of we need to take up our cross and follow Jesus. There, there are times literally every day where I have to be willing to give up things I want or my preferences for others. And so they're, they're both right there, this this amazing generosity that God gives us, this amazing blessing he puts on our life. Uh, but at, at the same time, there, there are going to be things we have to die to ourselves for and, and take, our, take up our cross and follow him. You know, it's, it strikes me, John, that we've really been talking about this whole passage in the context of the bigger picture, in the context of the, the question that the rich man asked about inheriting eternal life and and i and i think that's the most important thing our listeners can take away from this but maybe we should spend just a minute here talking about kind of the obvious thing that jesus is talking about which is financial like i don't want our listeners to miss this john and maybe you can speak to this because i think we both understand this differently from the vantage point of pastors who who get to see people coming to church and affluent people wealthy people who who actually don't honor God with their wealth. There is definitely a, a, an important undertone, I would say a secondary lesson here that has to do with how you view your wealth and therefore then how you view giving. I think that so many Christians are going to be shocked at how dishonoring they've been to God with their money. People who are committed to the church who are followers of Jesus, who loved, who who truly do love Jesus, and I would say are saved, are will go to heaven, but but are but are to their shame are going to realize like how selfish they've been with their money. Maybe speak just for a second here, John, because I don't want to miss this opportunity to people about how they should view actually view their money and giving. 
Jesus promised the rich young man treasures in heaven, if we back up in the passage just a little bit, and yet he went away sad. How ridiculous is that? Would you rather have treasures for eternity, or would you rather have treasures for 50, 60, 70, 80 years, whatever your time here on earth is, it, it's not even a fair comparison. Nobody would choose to be rich for 80 years and poor for eternity. It just doesn't make sense. And yet that's, that's how many people live. We get so hung up on the here and now. I, I think of the quote from Jim Elliott. Now, he wasn't specifically talking about finances, but I think there's a financial application there where he said, he is no fool to give up what he cannot keep to gain what he can never lose. You know, that's what Jesus was talking about when he said, hey, store for yourself treasures in heaven, because in heaven, you know, thieves don't come in and steal it. Moths and rust don't destroy it. Like, you're going to have those treasures for forever. Man, that's the perspective I feel like we need to have. We can easily make our wealth and our comfort an idol in our lives. Now, those things aren't bad. I'm grateful that God has blessed people with material wealth, because if we steward that, like God calls us to do, if we steward that well, it can be a blessing for his kingdom. So I'm grateful that God has blessed people materially, but please don't let that become the most important thing in your life. Please don't let that become an idol in your life, uh, because it's just not a fair trade-off. <laughs> Trust me, you don't want to be wealthy temporarily, but poor eternity. And that, I don't want to get too much into that. It's a whole nother conversation about what's heaven going to be like, and are there different experiences in heaven? And, and I would just say, I don't know exactly what these treasures in heaven are, but I know they're real because Jesus talks about them a lot. So don't get caught up storing up treasures for yourself here on earth and miss out on all the treasures that are available in heaven. Paul told Timothy this, he wrote this, Timothy was a kind of a pastor in training, and, and, and Paul said this to his understudy, Timothy, he said, teach those, 1 Timothy 6, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. That was his word. It's so unreliable. Their trust should be in God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Remember, this rich guy went away sad. And, and, and I think Paul's giving, this is great commentary on the story from today in Mark 10. He, he says this, tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. I mean, really that on a very, very practical level, I think, John, we should say that to our listeners who are rich people. If you're listening from the United States of America, you are a rich person. You are in the top 2% of the wealthiest people in the world. And so don't like, let's not over spiritual. Again, I want to make, we want to make sure to end on the spiritual lesson because that is the most important lesson. But it would be a mistake to miss the secondary lesson here, 
which is to be rich in good works. That's not going to save you. Paul's not saying that's going to save you. Jesus isn't saying that to his disciples, that what they've, what they've done to give up everything saves them. He's not saying that. He is, but he is giving a nod to it. He's recognizing that they left their nets. He's recognizing that they did do what the rich man didn't do. The rich man apparently was unwilling to do. So I think it's important for our listeners to take that away from this as well. If you're talking about this in a small group, I think you should have a conversation about giving. John, I used to be really, really cautious about talking to people about giving because I didn't want to be that guy. But I'm not cautious about it anymore because Jesus talked about it all the time. And I think it does show where your heart really is. So don't be a giver in order to get. Don't be a giver because you think that your giving is going to get you to the kingdom of heaven. But be a giver because you see Jesus the right way. Be a giver because you do understand that Jesus is more than a good teacher. You do understand that Jesus is God. He went to the cross. He died on on the cross for your sins. He rose from the dead. He set you free. He gave you access to life that is truly life. Be a giver because you understand who Jesus is. And that, and that's really what the, the disciples were certainly closer to that. Again, they still didn't fully understand Jesus, but they were, they, were, they, were under, they were coming to Jesus and understanding who Jesus really was. And because of that, they were willing to give it all up. Yeah, like you, Brian, I, I used to be tentative when talking about giving with people, but I just know now I can trust God in that. In my life, I've seen it so many times that I, I can't outgive God. And again, I don't, I don't give to get. But God does promise to to give us a hundred times more than what we've given. I, I don't think again that's not literal, and I'm not even saying that that that's physically or materially. But in some way, you can't outgive God. He He's going to give back more than you give Him in this life and in the life to come. Um, and I, I just want to go back to the question that was asked at the very beginning, what can we do to inherit eternal life? Isn't it interesting that, I didn't even think about that when we first started, that did he use that word inherit? Like when I inherit something, I don't really earn it. <laughs> I don't work for it. I, I, I inherit something because of whose son I am. And, and that's really what it boils down to. Maybe you're listening today and you're searching for the same answer that this rich young ruler had. What must I do to inherit eternal life? There isn't anything you can do except, except the grace that God has lavished upon you through Jesus Christ, that you admit that you're a sinner. You admit that you can't save yourself. You admit that, that you're not spiritually rich. You are spiritually bankrupt. You know, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Well, what does that mean to be poor in spirit? It means to recognize you don't bring anything to the table, that there's nothing of value that you have that's going to earn that salvation, that it's just receiving the gift that, that Jesus Christ has given you. So you admit that you're a sinner, you can't save yourself, you, you confess that to the Lord, you repent of your sins, which, which means that you change the way you think about it. I used to think one way, I think another way now. I used to go one direction, I want to go a different direction now and follow Jesus, and you trust in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. The Bible says that when we do that, we're made a new creation, that that's how we inherit the kingdom of heaven. 
And so if you have questions about that, you know, we, we'd love to have you reach out to us here at PursueGod.org. We'd love to help connect you with someone in your community who can answer those questions. I would encourage you to find someone, find another believer in your community, someone who loves Jesus, who could walk with you through the pursuit. You can find that here on the resources at PursueGod.org. It will walk you through who Jesus is, who you are, and how you can have eternal life through him.